I'm John. And I'm Jason. And this is Digital Divination on the No Direction Network. are back for episode 90 90 wow by uh, digital divination and uh we have uh, a guest host today mr ron lundine who is filling in for uh jason who has got a lot going on this week and asked if uh ron could by any chance take time away from his busy busy vacation schedule to step in and uh talk some uh, starfinder you caught me. You caught me right in between some vacations, actually. So sure. Yeah. So so thanks so much, Ron, for for coming to do this. I really appreciate it. Oh no, this is uh it's a delight to be able to step in from time to yeah. time again. I I do want to point out, as I always do, that I'm an employee of Wizards of the Coast. Um and my but my uh opinions, things I say here are not their opinions. They're your very own, right? They're my very own. <laughs> yes. So speaking of vacations, you just got back from Yellowstone. How was that? We did. Oh, we did. It was fantastic. Um, I went with my brother and his family, and we camped just outside of the park, and every day would go into the park to do one of the kind of cool things to do. Like one day we did geyser walks, right, where we went and saw Old Faithful and a lot of the geysers around there. Um, We did some of the really fun hikes. Uh, We went to make sure that we could – we drove through where the – the bison are and so we got some yes. all, all together much much too close uh <laughs> with bison and yes. because my oldest is just starting to drive and yellowstone's roads are you know a little bit windy but otherwise wide and kind of safe and not very fast uh she was doing a lot of driving when sort of this bison kind of wandered right into the road and so she had to suddenly practice right of way with an animal as big as our car that was uh it was it was a surprise but that was fun. She kept her cool. Everything was great. Good, um, good. But we got to see some of the just, it's just, there's just any, there isn't any other place like it, right? It's just so gorgeous with, you know, the mountains and the trees and the natural uh, thermal features. Um, I feel along with, you know, some of my, <laughs> along with, you know, one of my sister-in-law and my niece and nephew, you know, we we're filling out the junior ranger books to get a junior yeah. ranger badge. <laughs> Mine's downstairs, actually, but I completed 27 pages in the Junior Ranger books of activities and puzzles wow. and little knowledge things. So, um, so it's kind of neat. They have a a real respect for nature and the animals that they instill in Yellowstone, right? Which is uh, which is really great to see. It's really great to have my kids see that. Um, I've been, I think, I think this is my fourth time. Twice as a kid, and this is my second time as an adult. Um, and I see new things each time and I love it every time. Right. Cool. I, I kind of drove through part of it with some friends kind of en route to doing something else. We were visiting some friends in, um, Missoula actually oh, out yep. there. So, so it wasn't, wasn't too far out. Um, but I'd love to get back. And now that you're, you're talking about it, I would, and when you posted those pictures of the bison, I was thinking, man, it'd be great to do some uh, wildlife photography up there as well, you know? That would, there are a lot of people who are up there to do that. We didn't see, 
We didn't see a moose at all. Um, we saw tons of bison, and they're in their uh, they're in their uh, rutting season, right? So there are a lot of the males are a little more aggressive, I think, than they usually are. Um, and uh, but they still gather together. It's sort of fun. They we. I didn't see a bear. Two of my kids thought they saw a bear at a very far distance. And I think they were probably right. At the time I was driving, eyes on the road. I'm not looking off in the distance. Yeah. Um, but we were on a hike and we definitely found bear scat. That what seemed like there was a bear nearby. And we were appropriately uh, equipped with bear spray and how to use it. We knew what to do. My kids knew what to do. Um, but that was a little nervous hiking out of that spot. We're like, mm, how close is this bear? And is it going to decide to wander back this way? Uh, it was neat. Yeah. My daughter does a lot of hiking up in Canada in this summer. She was doing some field work for her PhD and also just kind of hiking for fun. And she came across, uh, bears three times. Oh my during, goodness. Uh, right. This summer already. Um, you know, most of the time they weren't very close, but, uh, one time it was like right off the trail. And so it's like, okay, we got to kind of back away and make a long <laughs> loop around. Did she, do they keep bear spray with them in case yeah, the bear they, close? Yeah. All the, in fact, she has to remember not to take it across the border because even though everybody in Canada has bear spray, right? They don't want you taking it from the U S to Canada. <laughs> that's a weapon that they don't want. Oh, you that's to right. Yeah. Us. And it's yeah. pressurized and it's, you know, yeah. uh, really harmful. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So she has to remember about that. And sometimes she forgets and just doesn't mention it, I guess. I don't know. Cause it's like always in the truck, right. You know, just kind of mm -hmm. when she's doing things. Well, that's awesome. Well, you know, I thought uh, because we missed you in our last episode, you were on vacation then in Southern California. Um, right. Post Gen oh, Con. <laughs> I've been mushing all the vacations together. We actually ended up kind of collapsing. A lot of our vacations just ended up in August this year. Mm -hmm. And so we went to Southern California and visited um, my wife's brother and his family, who are great. They're wonderful people. It was good to spend some time with them. And then uh, right after, we went down to San Diego, where mm -hmm. a lot of my friends from high school and early college kind of got together as kind of a friend reunion. Oh, wow. Uh, nice. Kind of reflecting the fact that all of us are have just or are about to turn 50 and oh my goodness, where has our, our youth gone? Um, but you know, our kids got to know each other and play around. I, I, we played an awful lot of games. We played a lot of, uh, one shot role-playing games mm -hmm. that were a lot of fun that really, and when I play those kind of one shot games in sometimes it's sessions where a game where the session is intended to be only like three or four hours and then you're kind of done and you right. wouldn't play the game again. Um, it really kind of shows me some of the th real deep things that role-playing can be about. Some of the things that are really mm -hmm. um, that you kind of take for granted in like long form campaign style games um, that you don't, that get really sort of compressed in with these uh, one shots in a way that is really sort of enlightening. Um, but that was kind of fun. And then we came back. We were here for, I think, exactly three days before we turned around and went to Yellowstone. <laughs> yes. And uh, we're going up to one of the islands uh, up near Canada uh, right at the end of this month. So we were on Easy our way times. to the airport. Yeah, we were on our way to the airport at the beginning of, of August. And I told my kids, kids, only four more vacations till school starts. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> we mushed them all into August. Well, I will say, now this is really difficult to figure out temporally. I'm going to wish you a happy early but belated birthday because this is being recorded on Monday. 
but doesn't right. get posted till Thursday. <laughs> well, then happy belated and belated birthday to you because you had your birthday just what like two days ago, Saturday. right? Yeah, yeah. So, so well, thank you. Yeah, you'll I will be I mean, not that... even a week ago when this gets posted. You will be yeah. not even a week away out of your birthday. Yeah. You know, I was telling Deb that um, I always thought we were the same age. I just feel like we're the same age. No, you're real but old. I'm, real but old. I'm a lot. I'm a lot older than you, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So, oh well. Anyway, but that'll be fine, and we'll have a get together. I actually, oh, I'll say this: I got you what I think is a pretty cool present. So you you should act like it's really cool when you get it. Okay. <laughs> Oh, okay. I, uh... Okay, that's cool. <laughs> you don't have to. That's okay. But I was really excited. My um, my daughter and her boyfriend came over yesterday to see the office. It is mm-hmm. folks who normally watch the show might notice Mando is a lot closer because I shifted offices thanks in part to help from my friends, including Ron Lundin, who helped move things around at home. Um, but I brought her up here. And I said, oh, I have to show you this cool present I'm giving to my friend next weekend. So, oh. <laughs> so. well, I've got, anyway. I've got something for you that's still on the way. I'm hoping it'll show Ooh. up by the by the weekend. Oh, but, um, I'm excited too. Your, so. so not only is your bookshelves, you're closer to your bookshelves behind you. Your helmets yeah. are switched. Mando's switched. But you still got yeah. all the Starfinder. Wait, wait, let me see. What am I missing? And I'm trying to go from memory. Gloomhaven. Oh, you used okay. to have Gloomhaven yeah, yeah. up on the shelf, and I don't see it there. I gave that to Mark. Okay. So that when we came by and Mark saw it, you had Frosthaven up there. That's why uh-huh. I mentioned, oh, look, there's Frosthaven. And we were talking about playing Gloomhaven. So I had Gloomhaven. I, I got it from somebody else really inexpensively at a garage sale. I never used it. And I said, well, Mark, would you play this with his house? And so I just gave it to him rather than let it sit on my shelf. And I needed shelf space. So it's good. Yeah, I played, we played. Yeah. Uh, Three four sessions of Gloomhaven. Uh, we're yeah. into Frosthaven now, but I see you've still got all the. All right, you still got all the Starfinder up where it is. You got a lot more Pathfinder. You've actually got more Starfinder. Even have you been making room for more stuff there? Uh, kind of moving things around a little bit. Also, I I got a major donation from a former Paizo employee of a bunch of stuff that I donated the rest to our lodge. But I kind of went through. He, he gave like six boxes of stuff and. Stuff wow. I didn't have, I went ahead and took some stuff worth uh, just to fill up my shelves. I gave away a bunch to folks, Mark included, and uh, and then I donated the rest. Still four f- plus full boxes. Um, so I got Adventure Paths. I, I didn't have all the second edition Adventure Paths, so now I do. So I, I didn't have like the first three or uh, four of them. And then I didn't have the small books, which I really like for taking yeah. the conventions. So I got the small <laughs> – he had a bunch of the small – uh, Pathfinder second edition books. I got those as well. So that's kind yeah, of. Yeah, I, pre- I prefer to use those. I actually don't know where a lot of my big rule books are. I use those small rule books much more often. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the adventure, pa- I mean, the Pathfinder second edition adventure paths. I mean, that's kind of what I did when right. I was there. Yeah. And so I'm glad you've got them now. Well, I'm excited for them to go to hardcovers. I-, I hope the Pathfinder ones go hardcover as well. I don't, don't actually know if they will. I know that the Starfinder ones, just because they fit so much nicer on your shelf rather than, you know, three or six books that keep, when you try to pull one out, they kind of mush in and that's right. To... That's right. And kind of fold a little bit back behind. Yeah. I do like the hardcover. Yeah. Uh, I, I, they also um, tend to lay flatter when you're actually using them. Oh around yeah. The table. Yeah, yeah. The hardcovers I like yeah. a little bit better. 
but we've done the mm-hmm. hardcover. Let's say they did. They've done two hardcover Pathfinder Second Edition Adventure Paths, right? And I don't know if they've. I don't know if they're doing any more. I mean, that's a Jason question, and he's not here. I, um, well, <laughs> and and that's a that's a Jason question. He can't answer as yet, one way or the other. Either I think because nothing official has been said one way or the other. So that's uh, that. Okay, this is how. <laughs> a lot of a lot of the people are very good about keeping the secret sort of appropriately in mm-hmm. when they do their work as their employment as they're writing. Um, mm-hmm. I gotta say, uh, you know, I don't do I don't do any writing for Paizo anymore. My wife still does, and yeah. she does so sort of on her own in her front office. Uh, she'll very occasionally ask me, "Oh, hey, do you have, you know, these books?" Right. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, it's probably something she needs for her writing, but she hasn't even done that for the last couple of projects because they give her all the books electronically right. that she needs to write. And that's just easier yeah. for her to use. So I kind of had no idea what she's got going on, but I was, after the Gen Con news, they announced that one of the core 20 deities in the Pathfinder setting was right. going to die. And we happened to be driving somewhere and I'm like, oh, hey, you know, <laughs> did you hear one of the core Pathfinder 20 deities, you know, one of the core deities is going to die. And she's sort of suspiciously quiet about it. I'm like, wait a minute. Did, did you know this was going to happen? She's like, well, yes. I'm like, do you know which one it is? She's like, I'm not saying anything. I'm like, all right. Well, I, so yeah, she knows, but <laughs> but she won't say because like the people that work on this stuff, they're really good yeah. about, you know, what's appropriate to keep secret and what's not. Um, I think that there are a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people working on some very exciting things and it's really hard. It's really hard to be working on something that mm-hmm. just really speaks to your heart or that something, you know, is going to be a ton of fun, uh, and you can't say anything about. So, you know, I'm excited to be able to start talking about the very first project I was on at Wizards, the Shattered Obelisk, which is coming out very, very soon. But of course, now there's a whole bunch of other things that I can't talk about, but right, I will right, as soon right. as I can. It's just part of the industry. It's sort of a weird part of the industry, the mm-hmm. the, the silence. Well, speaking of working on cool stuff that you can't talk about, or maybe can now, uh, you were working on Starfinder 2nd Edition just for fun on your own. Oh, I was. Yeah, this is something, and this is something you'd hinted about. You're like, yeah. somebody's working on it. Well, let me tell you, before... <clears throat> I I I was, and there wasn't anything I could do with it, right? Except maybe play with my friends. And I was thinking about, you know, just to the point of like, where could I do some play tests and stuff? But Pathfinder Infinite, which is sort of the clearinghouse for people's personal projects, and Starfinder Infinite is a really, really robust marketplace with some really neat stuff. And one of the things that I noticed even before I left Paizo, I'm like, hey people were publishing things like Solarians of the Inner Sea and Witch Warpers of the Inner Sea, translating these Starfinder classes into Pathfinder 2nd Edition rules. It's not going to be hard to compile those together because Pathfinder Infinite is intended to be sort of a sandbox where if somebody publishes something under Pathfinder Infinite, you can then use it, make full use of it in Pathfinder Mm -hmm. Infinite. I mean, and in your home games, of course, but... So it wouldn't be hard for somebody to take the right kind of pieces and put them together and then make a Starfinder 2nd Edition using the Pathfinder 2nd Edition rules. And 
one day when I was feeling particularly, you know, you know, like creatively challenging myself with that kind of thing, but not a lot of immediate time, uh, uh, you know, a lot of time pressure for other things. I'm like, I wonder if I could do that. So I kind of started pulling that together. And this was a couple months ago. And the more I pulled it together, the more I thought it was actually both really easy and really hard because some of the things translate over very easily. You want to do a mechanic in Starfinder? All right, it's the inventor from Pathfinder 2nd Edition, right? So the fact that the mechanic has the, the what's their, their core choice is like a thing in their head or a drone, right. but they've right. since expanded that, that the Starfinder mechanic can also have armor or weapon. weapon. Yeah. Well, the inventor creates a drone, well, they call it a companion. They create a drone or an armor or a weapon. Um, that's kind of kind of the same thing, right? Um, and then, you know, you take the all the rules for a uh, Ratfolk, and there you've got your rules for Yasoki, one of the core races in Starfinder. Some of the things, it was just a matter of sort of um, reskinning. Reskinning mm-hmm. stuff is something that uh, that I've done a lot throughout, you know, my gaming history. I think that a lot of Hobgoblin and Orc ancestry feats fit very well for Vesk. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, who are the they just they just they just produced a race of little telepathic rhino people. Uh, the Kashrishi, I want to say, for the impossible lands. Mm-hmm. Well, and the Kashrishi are all about sharing their emotions and working together and being psychic, right? That's kind of Shirin. The Shirin mm-hmm. and Starfinder are kind of like that. So. With those as kind of examples or templates, you kind of build up a sheer. I was able to build up a Sheeran ancestry. Um, so it was some things could be kind of ported over pretty easily. Some things could be sort of reskinned fairly easily, and then some of the things required some reinvention that I found really kind of exciting. Uh, uh, an example is making the Mystic as the cleric chassis. Because the cleric, you pick one of two, in Pathfinder 2nd Edition's cleric, you pick one of two, you're either a war priest or cloistered cleric, I want to say, and mm-hmm. that defines a lot of your combat ability, and it defines a lot of your uh, your proficiency rank, or your proficiency level with your spell casting and things like that, once you've made that choice. But those seem like, they should be two of several different options. And when you kind right. of kind of blow up the cleric class with the intent to have all these as individual options that you can pick, and instead of harm or heal as your spell, maybe your your divine font gives you harm or heal or something that lets you access knowledge, right? You've kind of built an Akashic mystic. Or mm-hmm. Magic Missile, you've kind of built a Star Shaman Mystic. Kind of blowing up all of the features, tearing it apart, and then kind of rebuilding it is something that I'm not, not only worked really well when I was trying to build a Mystic for a my own private Starfinder 2nd Edition, but it's the kind of things that, you know, we're doing sort of professionally uh, at Wizards of the Coast. I mean, one of the things, if I can, if you'll forgive me delving into 5th Edition for a second, um, all clerics, they take their, um, the cleric, their cleric domain gives them at high level, either you're kind of better at casting cantrips or you're better with weapons. Mm-hmm. And in the, the unearth arcana to present the cleric for 2024, 
the latest version of that we've seen takes that choice away from the subclasses and kind of makes it an every cleric gets to pick that one or the other. Mm. And so mm-hmm. I thought, oh, well, mixing up what is sort of the subclass feature with the base features, which is really kind of what the Starfinder Mystic has several different subclasses, right. you might say, and how they mix with the basic features of the cleric class. I found that to be some of the most thrilling design because there's kind of feel like I was really getting rolling up my sleeves and getting my hands into the guts of the class, tearing it down and rebuilding. That, I mean, that was kind of neat. It's a good creative outlet for me. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And the reason why you have to do this is you used to spend a lot of your time freelancing. That was a right. creative outlet for you. And now Wizards of the Coast doesn't allow you to freelance, publish, basically. Right, right. Oh. Um, so, that is, yeah, that's so a lot of my time I've got to be creative. I'm thinking my own individual projects, gaming or otherwise. If I were to turn my camera and open this door, you'd see a whole lot of potting soil and plants yeah. that I'm going to put up <laughs> around the edges of our deck. Uh, so nice. I've got a lot of other free time as well, which is itself of significant value. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but I, I, I don't get, I don't get bit by the creative bug any less frequently now than I did one year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Um, Even before I started working at Paizo, in addition to freelancing for Paizo, I was running my own third-party company, Runamuck Games, for whatever ideas I wasn't working on for Paizo, but I couldn't get out of my head. I'd put them into something and then do it with, do it third-party. So Mm -hmm. I'm not stopping. (laughs) But getting, uh, circling back to uh, Starfinder 2nd Edition, so I just thought it was really interesting because you shared with me your uh, compendium so far. And at that point, I think it was about 130 pages mm-hmm. that you had put together. So it was a not insignificant amount of thought you put into it. And the formatting layout was quite nice, by the way. So Oh, that's that's <laughs> all, that was all. That's not – I mean, that's not, I, I say that's not me. It was kind of me. But it's mostly the Starfinder Infinite program, yeah, which gives you – Word templates. Everything I did was just written in Word, but it's just put it in the right styles kind of as you go. Yeah. Um, Anything to make an independent contributor's graphic design work easier makes the final product look a lot more professional and makes people, Mm -hmm. the easier it is, the the less people are likely to see a hurdle of presenting something professional looking and they're more likely to get involved. And this game's better with everybody involved, so... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you've you've talked about some of the things that you thought would be fairly easy with the compatibility component, right, between Starfinder Second Edition and Pathfinder Second Edition. Stepping back from that, even, do you think that's a good idea to take the to, uh, to make the conversion over, or to from to have from the, Starfinder Starfinder Two Point or have it easy to have it compatible. Starfinder 2nd Edition, compatible with with Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Uh, Because I know that that was not something everybody was on board with all the time. Apparently, sometime maybe in the past, people, this idea had come up, and maybe there were some people kind of weighing in. Maybe it should be completely its own thing. So, but... well, I think, I think, yeah, I'd be interested to hear what you say. And I was sort of like unequivocally, yes. And then I thought, well, no, yeah. let me, let me qualify. I think yes, but that's only because I run a lot of home games in which creating things sort of spontaneously for the home game and reskinning things, both in what I run and in what people play 
are fairly common and acceptable, right? So mm-hmm. in a game where they are both very similar, very compatible, if somebody comes to me when I'm running Starfinder 2.0, let's say, and they say, I really want to be a full-on psychic character, but the only way I can see to do it is to run the psychic class from Pathfinder 2nd Edition, I'd be like, sure, right? Works for me, yeah. I But there are a lot of people, the no comes in with a lot of people who are in official sanctioned organized play events or the like where the rules have to be a little tighter because there's a substantially larger community that's following them. Mm-hmm. And in that case, it's prob- that's not the situation where you want somebody to say, oh, I've made a orc psychic and I want to play him in Starfinder. I mean, that's, no, there there are species you use in Starfinder. They're, you know, no, no, the answer there is going to be no, ought to be no. And I can see why people who are in that environment who don't want just any old thing thrown in would probably be, hmm, let's keep it our own separate mm. thing. I don't know. But what do you think? Well, I, I like the compatibility part. Um, I actually think it's more of a marketing thing than anything else. Quite frankly, it lowers the barrier for Pathfinder second edition players to get into Starfinder. Uh, um, right now it's about a five to one ratio. I was just actually looking at tickets sold at Gen Con. Um, There were like 2,300 tickets sold for Pathfinder second edition events and 750 tickets sold for uh, Starfinder events. Right. Okay. So that's, that's roughly three, actually three ish to one at that point. A quarter of them sold or. Yeah. That's about what it's what. And now that said, both of those were a lot less than uh, wizards of the coast things. I'll, just leave that well, out. Well, that's not well. even. That's done through yeah. Adventures games. Yeah. Or the Adventure League fronts are yeah. yeah. There's a lot of organizations yeah. that really have, have shouldered that. But the yeah. but still, I think that's I man, I think you're onto something there. Because the number of times I've been at Gen Con or some other convention where I've thought, all right, the stuff I want to play is sold out. But if I could get into this other game that requires virtually zero Mm-hmm. heavy lifting for me suddenly learning a brand new system i i'd be really inclined to try that right right so i think that's if that's the only reason then that kind of bothers me a little bit right okay so rather than let's make the game as cool as we can and people want to play it to play it they say well let's step back and just make it an easier transition because we and i know a lot personally a lot of pathfinder players that have been slow to adopt or hesitant to even jump in to starfinder just because they perceive it as being too different. And and for me, it's like, if you play Pathfinder 1st Edition, Starfinder is not going to be hardly anything different for you. I mean, Pathfinder 2nd Edition is way different than Pathfinder 1st Edition compared to Starfinder, <laughs> you know? Right. Well, or 3rd so, Edition D&D, 3.5 yes. Edition D&D. A lot of yeah. those, you can really see the DNA right. in Starfinder. You can see the DNA in Pathfinder 1st Edition. Um and so the, the the barrier is is kind of low. So mm-hmm. now all that said, I think it would be really cool to bring in Pathfinder second edition characters into Starfinder. I think going that way, if there's balance between the two systems, I think you could come up with a lot of great storylines when you all of a sudden you had somebody from some archaic world come in and then they have to learn the function and do stuff. 
but they had really powerful magic or skills or something that enabled them to to adapt and learn that new system, right? I think going the other way is a little tougher, right? Bringing high tech into a low tech area. And then, and Jason and I talked about this a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, how do you then replenish those high tech things when you don't have any resources for doing so? Or right. how, do you, how do you find another bullet to replace the bullet you just fired out of your high tech gun when you yeah. need like, you know, all sorts of thermal charges and things in that, that mm-hmm. type of high tech gun? Yeah. So I think that's a little tougher spin. Um, I think it can be done. I just, I'm just thinking thematically and everything that's, that's a little harder to do I, for a lot, for a big, a big campaign kind of thing. Right. But I think the other way, if you had a Pathfinder character, you just absolutely loved and wanted to Triton Starfinder and it would work. I think that would be fantastic. Well, I think going the other way from the high tech to the low tech that you describe, it's, I mean, it's difficult, but if I think I know you well enough to know, John, that's actually kind of right up your alley, right? Cause that would be sort of the like future apocalyptic yes. wasteland yes. kind yes. of thing exactly. where you're scra- scrounging for bullets and batteries to make your awesome power armor work. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things I thought of right off the bat, but just in general, in, in the general course of play though, you know, just bringing in that character in to a game. It, I just don't know how the balance would look. I'm just thinking if I bring a, a tenth, my if I bring in my tenth level Vanguard in to a mm-hmm. you know a Pathfinder game designed for tenth level, he just seems so overpowered now. Relative right, but, but to would that. it be right? Well, no, I think I, yeah, that's, that's probably what, right. Just I so balance. I just don't know. I just don't know what the balance. They're going to have to well, do a lot of balancing to make that work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and. and it almost seems like that's an awful lot of creative energy being spent just, just to, to keep things do even. It. Yeah. So well, that's my qualm. Well, one of the things I know, they're giving themselves a really long lead time for Starfinder 2nd Edition. And it's because they're not, I, I would bet that in zero cases, they're going to do sort of the easy cheat way I did. That is to say... Yeah. A mechanic, an inventor looks a lot like a mechanic. Let's cut and paste the inventor and slap the word mechanic on it, and we're good to go. They're, I mean, they're not. They're going to be building it from the ground up based on their system, is what I mm-hmm. think. If there's things about the drone companion, or excuse me, about the the inventor's companion that works, maybe they'll we'll see those in sort of a a different flavored way as a drone. But I certainly don't think that they're just trying to put together a I guess a hack I guess is what the the role-playing term is right using one system for another they're not doing a hack they're trying to put some ground up thought uh, not ground up thought but you know <laughs> thought from the ground up about how those things are going to be built how a for example how a vanguard at 10th level in Starfinder 2.0 would compare two characters who are 10th level in uh, Pathfinder 2.0 now, it, it does make me wonder if they're going to have some of the same thinking that went into Starfinder when they were building it off of the Pathfinder First Edition chassis. And one of the things, as an example, they said is, look, this is Starfinder. We've got a lot of laser guns, so we're just going to do away with the rule that penalizes you for shooting into melee with your friends. Because right. everybody's going to be shooting right. into melee with their friends. And we're not going to make special movements like being able to swim or climb or fly the purview of high level character or mid to high level characters only we're going to make those kind of easy and pretty common at much lower levels so that people can be a lot more mobile 
those are ways in which a Starfinder character kind of outshines a Pathfinder first edition character. And I don't know if they're going to be making similar things to say in Pathfinder, Starfinder 2.0 compared to Pathfinder 2.0. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. You know, I'm looking at, uh, you know, we're playing Abomination Vaults at 10th level and, you know, and I've played my Vanguard at 10th level. I just, looking at a champion at 10th level or a paladin at 10th level versus my Vanguard, man, my Vanguard eats them alive. I, I mean, in terms yeah. of, you know, providing defense or mitigating damage or doing damage. And so there's yeah, going to have to be right. some sort of scaling that's that's going to change. And so maybe it's compatible, but they say, okay, when you bring in your Starfinder character, we have to scale everything down by half or something. I don't know. You know? I, yeah, I don't know what yeah. sort of, if they want to have that kind of conversion or not. Remember, they've separated the two, not only in time, but with the vast plot gulf of the gap. Right. Right. What happened right. then? Mm, that's maybe that's a thing that keeps the the streams from mm. crossing. No, you've got a good point, though. I'm playing currently in a uh, Skull and Shackles campaign that's playing Pathfinder First Edition. And I, yeah, I would totally take my Starfinder precog, who's about the same level, yeah. over my character in that one for the purposes of like, defeating enemies and stuff so um yeah you've got a good 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 point there that the scale feels a little it feels off and it feels like perhaps appropriately the higher tech futuristic side of it has an advantage over the lower tech sort of sword and sorcery fantasy side of it mm -hmm. and if they if they scale that back making the math super tight for Starfinder second edition. I, how much does that decrease the fun? I, you know, that's when you're used to, I, it's going to be the same thing with Pathfinder first edition going to second edition, right? There were some really crazy characters out there that did all kinds of, you know, mm -hmm. tons of uh, attacks of opportunity and lots of extra damage and all kinds of things that don't exist now in second edition. And so maybe that's what it looks more like is, on the the outskirts of things that oh that's completely gone but you know in the middle of things maybe it's balanced more i don't right. know right the, yeah. the you know the min maxers are going to min max no matter what right, right. and right. whether right. they're doing that trying to one thing that i found one comment that i got at gen con when we were releasing pathfinder second edition that was actually i think it was really cool i don't know the person was intending this to be pretty cool <laughs> But this person came up to me and said, I'm looking forward to your game so that we can make the most busted characters imaginable because we made the most busted characters imaginable under Pathfinder First Edition and we're going to do it again. And my attitude is good, right? They won't be the same types of characters. I promise you that. Mm -hmm. But every mm -hmm. system has certain combos in which, you know, they, things tend to tend to feel a lot more broken than maybe the characters that are built as examples or as iconics or sort of a, you know, using right. only the core rule book or whatever you want to do. That's good. Those are going to exist. And some people's fun of the game is finding that, right? Mm -hmm. So a mm -hmm. good game is built with the ability for people who love feeling like they've got the most busted characters to be able to build those types of characters or they won't find the game very interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So kind of along those lines, what are some of the things that you look forward to seeing in second edition. Uh, and one of the things that you think it absolutely should have as it goes along that maybe, maybe they aren't thinking about or 
you know, that sort of thing. Well, I don't, I think both of my answers for that are the same uh, okay. in that uh, Starship Combat. Yes. If I had to tell you the one part about my own sort of personal pet project of Starfinder 2nd Edition that I just had no idea how I was going to do it, and frankly hadn't even, I sort of mentally put it aside as, you know what, I'm not even going to do it. It's it's Starship Combat. Now, are there vehicle rules in Pathfinder 2nd Edition? Yes. You know, exploration as far as moving around, maybe with a starship as much as on foot. Yes. But how a robust starship combat and exploration system works in Starfinder 2.0 is going to be really necessary. And I have, mm -hmm. I have no idea how they're going to do it. How about you? What are your, what do you think? Really? What are you lo really looking forward to in Starfinder 2.0? And what are you most excited about them bringing to kind of the game ecology? Wow. So the game ecology, I am not even sure I know what that means. So, um, <laughs> Tech but, of the game. Uh, no, let me no, yeah. let me explain. Let me unpack that. Precogs are yeah. fascinating because they have the ability to pre-roll ahead of time and use yeah. their pre-rolls to swap out for a lot of different abilities and more of them as they get higher and higher level. No other class in Starfinder can do that. There aren't very many role-playing games in which that's usable at all. So that really, I feel like, developed the ecology of the game it into a new way of playing the game that didn't exist. So when ah. I say that, I mean, what things do you think Starfinder 2nd Edition can create that can make Pathfinder 2nd Edition games cooler if you were to use that sort of across the way? Does that make, does that make more sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. I know. I surprised I, you with the term. No, it was, it was a great word. And I'm thinking, <laughs> what exactly does he mean with that? Because when I think ecology, I think of you know, plant life and biology and wildlife and stuff like that. Right. But I know that's not what you meant. And so, <laughs> all right. So I, I, I think that the basic things that, that I think how they announced it with the three action economy, I think that's great. So I think that part, um, this hasn't been brought up as much, but I really like the crit system, uh, crit success, and then even the failure system that's in second edition. So I think that's, that's a really fun thing as well. Um, I, like you, I'm not a fan of how they do Starship Combat or Chases. I actually don't like how Chases run at all. I don't know how they're going to fix that. I would, I, they've announced a narrative Starship Combat for Starfinder Enhanced. I prefer, and oftentimes I just do things narratively anyway. I prefer that for this, this instance. But I would like something, uh, and you mentioned Hex Exploration. I would like something where we could do world building, space station building, real starship building, where that became a function of what you did in the game, right? So right now it's oh. like you build a character, you build a starship. That's part of it just to, to do it. I played games when I was a kid where you would build entire starships or you would, you know, kind of build a world from, from scratch, you know, where start at low tech and kind of build up the technology over time. I think those sorts of things, now it's, it's a lot different than the main role-playing part. I think those sorts of things are something that we could do in Starfinder second edition. That would be a lot of fun and is translatable to, to Pathfinder. So, you know, if you think about building up your kingdom, you know, when we were playing D and D back in the day, when our characters were really high level, 
instead of going out and slaying dragons, we started building up our keep and building it to defend against enemy forces and doing all kinds of stuff mm -hmm. like that. Or, you know, I remember playing, uh, we played Gamma World, and one of the things we played is in a world of super tanks. There's a book called Bolo. It's a series of super tanks. It was all about scrounging parts and building together a big super tank and things like that. And then you had tank battles. So similar to like you might have mech battles and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I guess looking at other things of scale that you could do in a high-tech area. You know, I really enjoy uh, the Expanse uh, television series. You know, it's kind of really high, high science, you know, low, low, no fantasy to that. But one of the cool things about it is, you know, they go out and, you know, they get a ship, they outfit a ship, they take over other ships, they do other things. And when you capture that stuff, you do something with it. You just don't convert it into upgrades for your own ship. You know, there's a purpose right. beyond that. And so having that as a component, I think in the game would be really cool, maybe beyond the scope of, uh, a role-playing game, but that's something I would enjoy. Well, that's really neat. And that reminds me a lot of science fiction computer games, which often yes. involve, all right, it's not just a matter of I've captured the ship. I'm going to transfer my cargo over and fly around it. Although some of them are, it's like, how do I make this ship that's mine? And how do I get to a space station? And what are we going to add onto our space station to make it ours? Mm -hmm. Defensive posts versus, you know, right. exactly. trading centers and things. That is that is a really key element of a lot of sci-fi media, I think, that would players would really enjoy. That would be a really neat addition mm -hmm. to the game ecology of the So, uh, so that's my suggestion that for game game ecology, once you mentioned. Oh, I like that. And that's and that could be translatable back too in a way where something kind of quasi like the kingmaker, right? Where you're trying to build right. your own kingdom, but really more like, all right, we're gonna build our own airship and travel the world mm -hmm. in our own airship. What does mm -hmm. it have as far as defense? Our own pirate ship. We do a lot right. of that. I mentioned playing in a Pathfinder first edition campaign, a Skull and Shackles, right? So a lot of times we, every time we take over another pirate ship, we're like, do we make this one our new pirate yes. ship versus our yes. old one? But gosh, we've got all these flaming skulls that we've made on our old one. How do we, what are you going to unbolt every single flaming skull and nail it to the new ship? Eh, that's a lot of work. I mean, that's, you know, but it's in the theme of making it our own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one thing. You know, I've never played Kingmaker, but we are playing Horizons of the Vast. Mm -hmm. And part of it, you know, when we're building up the settlement and stuff, that's kind of neat, but it's still really abstract. Mm -hmm. You know, just kind of like, oh, we're going to build all this stuff so we can get our space elevator, right? That's right. So <laughs> Some characters that have their own specific mini goals in yeah. mind. Yeah, but it it didn't real, really feel tangible doing all those individual things. It was just all, you know, you don't see us using them a lot. They don't become a very integral part of the campaign. Uh, Space elevator might, you never know. Um, but, uh, well, it's, you know, it's also like the, the way that you trigger fine. And I remember Kingmaker in Pathfinder first edition being similar to this. And I haven't done Kingmaker in second edition. Um, I've got it. I might run it someday, but um, ex exploring into a new hex or expanding where you've explored is how you trigger new events happening. Mm -hmm. And it's not that there aren't events or there certainly aren't many that are triggered by building specific things or developing specific stuff. If there were, for example, oh, well, the first time you try to build, I don't know, the 
a museum, the following role-playing event occurs where people are accusing you of putting on display cultural heritage or something. And you can see how it could start up like an old, right. a whole subsidiary adventure based mm-hmm. on, oh, we decide to build a museum in this square in our settlement or maybe the third settlement you build, right? Oh, well, at this point, there's enough cities in the area that the following crime family decides to sort of make a right. play. And here's this thing. Fa- not enough of the events are triggered by the actual building that you do. And I Mm -hmm. feel like a good, solid sci-fi system like you describe could absolutely do that. Well, your space station gets thus and such big, it's attracted the attention of a crime syndicate. Or, Mm -hmm. oh, you've decided to install a, you know, this type of, you know, Vogon anti-personnel laser on the side of your ship. Well, all right, well, this particular alien group comes by because they're offended that you do that or something like that. That's, uh, <laughs> you know, ways that the decisions that you've made and how you build yeah. stuff leads to the story, not just an abstract building game. Right. Right. So anyway, that's, that's kind of the thought about it there. Um, I'm, I am excited about 2.0. I think there's a lot of, a lot of neat things that are in Starfinder, but I can see where, they can go a lot of different directions and I'm just excited to see where they go. Yeah. Well, and it may be with a with anybody that's creating a new game can't get to everything all at once in the core rule book. And so mm-hmm. one of the things that's going to be interesting to me to see what they choose to tackle when they update it and what they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and to some degree, this has to do with the uh, Pathfinder remastered that they're doing, what they're put, choosing to put in which books and what's in the game, GM's core versus what's not versus what's in a later book. Versus mm-hmm. what's in an adventure path, um, that kind of thing is we're going to see that in Starfinder as well. And what they choose to leave out right away is, I think, going to be ju- almost just as exciting as what they choose to put in, because that's e- that's a thing they're going to you know have the ability to touch on in sort of a more robust story focused detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is mm-hmm. to say, something if they don't put mech combat in the first book, are they going to do mech in some? high technology book later on, uh, a la the technology guide. Are they going to do it in a series of adventures that are about mechs, a la Mechageddon, right? What's That could mm-hmm. be kind of fun to see what how it develops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see about that. It's a completely new team. I mean, Thirsty's the only one that was really on that team last time when Starfinder was put together. Mm-hmm. But I know that Jason Bowman has, is probably having some input. Uh, Mark Seifter isn't there as a designer. Wow. So, you know, it's, it's probably going to have some differences, which, which I think will be yeah. good. So, well, and I think the people that are going to be really benefiting from Starfinder 2.0, I mean, I think everybody who plays it is going to benefit from having a more robust and updated system they choose to do that. But a lot of the people that are on the Starfinder team now kind of came up through organized play, Thirsty included. And so mm-hmm. I feel like the organized play component of what you can get out of Starfinder 2.0 is going to be really solid because that's kind of where they're where they where they sort of grew up from in coming to the positions that they're at now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what they've done in the last couple of years is really built more coherent storylines across them. I I mean just you know, for example, the Scoured Stars storyline that Thirsty put together is now going to be an adventure path. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, thinking of that is a 
rather than a series of disjointed adventures, which is what the first season of Organized Play really felt like, now we're going to have several big overarching arcs that tie things together uh, right from the get-go, which, mm-hmm. which I think is fun. So. Well, if, if it felt a little bit disconnected, it's because we weren't necessarily all talking to one another, speaking as someone who wrote one of those first season adventures. and <sighs> Wrote one? You wrote the first one the ever. person into the unknown, right? Yes. And it was very much so. And that was like the hardest one for any first level character. So, because it's Starship You're, Combat. That's, that's right. You're welcome, <laughs> I guess. <That> was, <laughs> you were the one that caused them have to change all the rules on Starship, so. I look. I just doing what the uh, what the rules had that were given to yeah. me. That was yeah. It was good, but we knew even then when I was doing this. One of the things they said is this is going if Starship Comet's going to evolve, and this is at some point going to seem a little simplistic and maybe a little outdated. But we got to start somewhere. Yeah. No, so. that's, that's that's good. And they've they've learned a lot since then. So I, I expect things to be much more polished. Uh, Let's see. With the second we'll edition coming out. Well, it's been great, Ron, catching up with you. Um, you know, it's too bad Jason couldn't be here, but uh, it's it's nice to have a chance to chat with you again. Yeah, that is fun. It's fun. I appreciate you inviting me back for this time, and I'll drop in when I can. All right. Well, I'm John. And I'm Ron, and this is Digital Divination.